Welcome down to the first podcast. I am Chris Ryden with BAMSI CEO Peter Evers. And on this edition of the podcast today, we're going to focus on uh, mental health. And BAMSI is going to have a whole bunch of really exciting uh, events we're going to be announcing in regard to Mental Health Month, which is May. But let's be honest. I mean, mental health has kind of evolved beyond any sort of, you know, time period, a month or, you know, week or day or anything (laughs) of that nature, Um, particularly in a post pandemic environment. It seems as though we're constantly having conversations you know, about mental health, and particularly among the younger uh, you know, generation. Kids are going through school now, um, young adults. Uh, it seems that con- that conversation is constantly taking place, which is certainly something different than previous generations had noticed. As we welcome in Peter Evers, who's the CEO of uh, BAMSI. Good morning, Peter. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Good to see you. And I want to kind of start with you know, what you've noticed in terms of changes surrounding dialogue with mental health, because this is something that you have worked uh, very closely at for, for many years. What have you noticed about how things have changed? Well, I guess uh, I was thinking about that as you were talking, and I reflected on the first time I met you, which is nearly a decade ago now, when we had a conversation up in New Hampshire about getting – Uh, services to people who were struggling in um, both remote places and cities in the the state of New Hampshire. Um, Yeah, I think, and I think I've said this before, but, you know, there's a famous musician called Tom Waits who sort of said, I've been tapping the world on the shoulder with a message all my life, and now the world's turned around. I've forgotten what the message is. But I don't think we've forgotten what the message is. I think people are beginning to have conversations about mental health that are different. Um, that that has been changing, as you've said, uh, for the last probably 20 years. I think about my kids' generation. It's so much easier for them, and I have three of them, to talk about their struggles with mental health. It's so much easier for them to talk about their relationship with their therapist. That would never have happened, even back in the early 90s when I was that age, um, it, generally in the population. And I don't think my kids are necessarily any different from their generation. It's just an easier conversation for them. And, you know, uh, I think that's a tribute to the previous generation in terms of keeping that notion alive, that mental wellness is just part of your overall being and those and that wellness needs to be sustained it needs to be nurtured um billy joel as we've talked about before talks about every year going for a mental checkup making sure that things are okay that or that sort of ordinaryization not really a word i just made that up of 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 talking about and checking in on yourself of making sure that your friends know you know what your vulnerabilities are being able to talk about it i think is a protective factor and uh the covid situation exposed everybody to isolation withdrawal and loneliness that many people who for years have struggled with uh, mental illness um it allowed them to understand that in a very very visceral way i think that has made a difference no i agree and today's concept for the podcast came out of you know a couple conversations i had and in my day job um i'm a reporter and, and cover politics and sports and one of the beats that I have is covering the Boston Bruins and I was doing interviews and out of kind of nowhere um, Charlie McAvoy one of the Bruins star players he's 25 years old he was talking about one of the best aspects about his teammates was that he could be vulnerable with them which was 
to me, kind of jumped out and that jumped off the page because we're t- talking about hockey, which is, you know, you don't talk about injuries. Like, you have an upper body injury, you have a lower body injury. <laughs> like, you don't want to give the opponent any sort of sign of weakness. And, you know, the fact that these guys didn't see you know, talking about mental health being a weakness, I thought was was remarkable. So then you know, I talked to the Bruins goaltender, um, Linus Olmark, about that. We're going to hear both those conversations come up in, in a little bit. And he, you know, expanded upon it and talked about how mental health was a part of the you know, kind of the daily conversation that takes place amongst, you know, the Bruins players. And to me, like, you're we're always kind of, you know, looking at things and kind of you know, battling away and saying, oh, things are getting so much worse and this is bad and this is bad. And to me, this was an incredible sign of, of progress that you have, you know, a 25-year-old, a 29-year-old and – you know, in a sport which folks, you know, have hidden, you know, a lot of their problems very physical with, you know, substance misuse mm-hmm. and so forth. And players have become very honest about that as well mm-hmm. and how they've had to use you know, alcohol and drugs to try to you know, deal with some of the mental and physical pain that goes along with being, you know, a professional athlete. Um, that vulnerability thing really jumped out at me that, you know, a player would talk about, we are vulnerable mm-hmm. with with one another mm-hmm. and how the important that could be kind of in a workplace setting where people you know they kind of put up their walls they put they do their thing but they don't feel comfortable enough to be vulnerable generally well i mean it's an extraordinary thing if you think about it you know the people that you're talking to are seen as you know the modern day gladiator right they're they're impervious to pain especially hockey players right there was one guy right. that played with an acl tear the whole game i mean it's just like unthinkable yeah, patrice bergeron <laughs> you know it is basically like a, a walking um <laughs> medical dictionary with all the different yeah. injuries he's had through the course of his career and played through and that's yeah you I mean you play through pain you right. just keep going right which is another metaphor for what people do with mental illness, right? That, right. you know, you don't talk about it because, you know, take take you back to the 1970s with Lauren Siegelberger, who was a, a, a running mate for, uh, for the presidency, and yet it became known that he had a history of mental illness and he was out. Um, we've come a long way. And when our gladiators are talking about protecting themselves in terms of being vulnerable, in terms of looking for help, in terms of having conversations with similar people, who have had similar experiences to them, you then become less isolated. It becomes less of a stigma because you're all talking about it. And then when the kids who love hockey hear those two talking about you know, mental wellness, and, and that's what it is. That conversation that they have, that you'll hear is about mental wellness. It's actually thinking about how do I stay well. Then those kids... Will have those conversations with their friends because there's no, uh, there's it, there's no taboo to that. There's no stigma to it because our heroes, our strongest Americans, our strongest citizens, are actually having that conversation. Um, it's what every workplace should strive for. It's what every workplace should pay attention to. When we look at days lost. Um, for illness in the workplace in America, it's very, very high. And a substantial number of those days are because people really struggle with mental illness uh, and they can't talk about it. They can't say, like in the way that you would say, I put my back out, 
You know, uh, you, you would say that to somebody at work and they'd say, well, that's really bad. You know, hopefully, you know, take care of yourself, lie down and you, we'll be back in a few days. Now, if you said I've been having some really dark thoughts and it's really interfering with my work, that's going to be he- heard in a different way in yeah. some workplaces. And our workplace has to strive to be a place where people can say that without fear of any uh, negative uh, outcome. I thought John Fetterman's situation and admission that he was having you know severe depression was also a big moment but i want to get to Mm -hmm. the interviews here we'll start with charlie mcavoy seems like in this room no one is you know kind of worried about speaking their mind and like being like comfortable and saying whatever they want being who they are and holding like teammates accountable how important is is that and did it always feel that way kind of under Bergie's leadership and even before that you know, when you were 20 you could say what you needed to say and now you've become more of a veteran you still have that ability maybe even more so yeah we have a great room in here I mean that's documented like we it's it's a very special culture and I think part of that culture is being able to be who you are within within the group and you know, you can embrace your, your true self, your personality, and, and bring it to the room, and we're a better team for it. And then, you know, behind closed doors, everybody knows that they can be, you know, you know I guess vulnerable in a sense in, in, in this room. Like, everybody's very understanding, and, and hell, we, we go through this, you know. Obviously, we are blessed and, and very lucky to do this for a living. But with this comes, you know, um, you know the mental side of it and sometimes you don't always have it sometimes you, feel, you don't feel great about your game about yourself where you're at um and in this room you'll always find somebody to talk to oftentimes multiple guys uh who will, who will pick you up and then when they're going through it it's vice versa and you pick them up so, so. charlie mcavoy right there let's hear from bruins goaltender linus olmark Looking at your year, I mean, what stands out to you as to why you've been able to have the the success you've had you know, to date? Oh, nothing particularly. Um, well, if it would be like one thing, maybe it's that I feel very settled in into the city, into the into my daily living. I don't have any uh, anything to complain of when it comes to that. You know, my my kids are doing well. My fa- Wife's doing well, you know. Family at home is doing well. Uh, you know, I'm just in a very good place when it comes to the personal things. And whenever that happens, you don't have to really think about too much. Uh, when you're on the ice, you can just focus on on hockey and what's important at the moment. Yeah, it seems to me that's kind of one of the underrated aspects of of sports in general is making sure that the individual who's a human being has like a steady mindset where you're able to focus on what's you know going on. Do you feel that? You know, that's one of the more important aspects, particularly as a, as a net monitor, that you're able to you know, be calm and have that focus um, and not have to worry about you know, external factors and be comfortable, which is, I think, one of the more important things, the comfort- comfortability. When it comes to that point, you know, it's, it's different for, for everybody. It's, you know, it's hard to please everybody. It's hard to know what everybody needs and what makes them thrive. You know, some, some people maybe thrive in adversity. Some people might thrive in... Having a lot, of, a lot at stake. Some people might enjoy it when when things are easy or whatever. If it's you know, if it's family-wise or if it's maybe you're single and you're just you know enjoying your life in a certain way and everything's going well. So, it, it's tough to say that it's a it's a formula that works for everybody, but I certainly think that it's a formula that works for more than uh, for for more people than for. You know, less people, however you can say it. Um, you know, it, it's it's important. You know, we talk about a lot of things when it comes to 
mental uh, mental awareness and mental health and stuff like that and it's all about speaking up and, and let people know what you what you need uh, and maybe most of the times there's people around the room uh, or in the organization that can help out you know if you're a new guy you just talk to the guys that are older maybe they can help you out with some things and maybe you're not maybe maybe you're a First-time parent, don't know really what the ropes are. Maybe you need some little help or advice on that. You can talk to someone else that has kids or in the same position. And those things are, in my mind, very important. Uh, but like I said, it all comes down to how you are as a person, how you are as a human being, and what you need to be able to thrive. Final thing, it's, we were talking to Chucky about this, where guys are open and vulnerable with one another, he said, which is pretty rare to hear in a locker room, that you know, guys are comfortable being you know, who they are. Um, what does that mean you know, to you, and how much does it you know, help you and you think the guys in this room that people are comfortable enough to be vulnerable with, with one another in this type of setting? It's very important. Uh, it comes back, to, again, to mental health and, and, and all that. You know, it's a long season. Uh, a lot of people feel the pressure, a lot of feel the stress about playing in, in, in this league, uh, in this team, you know, in this environment, everything like that. And if you can help out and you know, just try along and make the other person feel more comfortable about their daily life and, and their hockey career, I'm all for it. You know? uh, I've always been very open with whatever I'm struggling with throughout the years, uh, ever since my father's, uh, my father's passing. And, you know, I've been very open with these guys ever since I came here, and they've opened uh, and welcomed me with open arms, you know, and, and they've, I try to return the favor. And, you know, that's how you build a culture where, where people are very open and very, you know, very honest with each other. Um, because the honesty is not just about, you know, feelings. It's, it's about putting, you know, you might want something out of another person. Maybe a person or a, or a teammate that's not really performing at their level that you think or they're not doing things in the gym or they're not doing things on the ice that you think that they should be doing. You can, you can be honest without feeling that you're intruding or that this guy is going to you know, reject you for the rest of the season or, or something like that. You, when, when, you, when someone steps off and, and tells you that, you take it to heart you bring it, and you know, bring it forward and then you bring it to the next guy and, and that's how you build a culture and that's what they've been doing here for all these years and that's one of the things I've been very impressed about ever since I got in here with Bergie Marsh you know and, and, and Z that started it all uh, probably and you know it's just a very um, honorable you know thing to play in this uh, in this team so I want to talk about John Fetterman here in a second but first from you know a CEO perspective like the ideal situation is that you your employees are comfortable enough with one another that they care about the you know the mental wellness of one another the 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 overall health and wellness of of each other. How do you try to you know foster an environment because the Bruins will talk about the leaders and it comes from you know Patrice Bergeron it comes from you know the guys in the dressing room that create the culture um, that there is a culture of caring and of um a willingness to be open with one another. So as a leader, how do you address that here? I think you have to be open. You have to create as many opportunities you, as you can so that people can have these conversations, whether they're in big groups um, like our listening sessions. Many people have heard our list and been involved in our listening and learning sessions. We're having one uh, later this month that speaks about our um, vaccination policy, for instance, 
having those conversations about what it means to, and we did it during the the um, uh, the pandemic as well. You know, what is it like for you to have to turn up for, for work every day, to look after your kids, to school your your children because schools were closed, all of those different things. Giving people the opportunity to talk about it and giving people the opportunity to speak to somebody. Uh, a, a big shout out to our Whitman Clinic, as I always do. They're amazing at actually. Uh, responding to uh, distress in our workforce. We had two deaths of persons served um, over the last week. Uh, Both of them were end-of-life situations in terms of, you know, um, hospice and and in the hospital. But the staff take that very hard. They know these people really well. One of those people was with us for 25 years or even longer – uh, it leaves a huge mark, and to be able to offer people uh, solace, to a- to be able to offer people the opportunity to speak about that grief, actually really helps people through that. We have an EAP that people take advantage of, and and I would always advise people to do that as well. That's a service that comes as a benefit. But I think it's really important that our supervisors, our chain of support, all understand that we don't come to work every day and check our mental health issues at the door. Used to be like that, didn't it? Don't talk about anything about work. HR department says, oh, you can't ask that person anything about their mental health. We can say, are you okay? We can say, let's take a minute just to talk about where you're at. Because we're all at some point in our lives, multiple points in our lives, we're going to have to address those issues, whether we're at work or whether we're at home. I think a a huge moment in acknowledgement of mental health was when John Fetterman the senator from Pennsylvania who had a stroke, mm-hmm. you know, acknowledged the fact that he um, needed to go to Walter Reed and, in fact, checked into Walter Reed because he was having you know, severe depression. And it would have been very easy to, you know, uh, relabel that and be like, he's suffering from complications of the stroke uh, or something of that nature. Because, yeah, having a significant uh, depression is a complication of, of a stroke. And many individuals who either suffer life changer, uh, life-changing injury or illness or facing um, you know, potential catastrophic illness, chronic illness, have huge mental health burdens that they and their families carry. And very often that is you know, not discussed. It's seen kind of being a part of it. It's a complication of it. So I thought the, the fact that Fetterman came out and just said that um, was was pretty significant. And you had somebody like, you know, Ted Cruz across the aisle say, yeah, I, re- I really respect yeah. the fact that he it said that that's taking place and we need to respect him. Yeah. It was a massive move, I think. And, and he won as well, which is, uh, I mean, not to get into the politics, but that wouldn't have happened whether you were a Republican or a, a Democrat 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it would be, well, how can that person lead us Basically, they have a weak heart and a weak head, but right. is, which would be the message that you yep. got. Um, I do think that's right. I think you know, you know, Chris, you and I have done quite a lot of work politically in 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 New Hampshire with um, with the issue of mental illness, and it is totally across the aisle. When I think about you know the Speaker of the House, who is a Republican, coming to visit an emergency department to see what it was like for 30 people waiting for a bed for a week in tears. 
I mean, it is not a political issue. It might be a resource issue, but people are beginning to understand what role mental wellness takes in our lives. People are beginning to have conversations at every level. And goodness knows we should be doing that more than anyone because this is our business. But we'll say this. How many political figures, though, will admit that they deal with um, mental health issues or suffer from mental illness? And, you know, we I'm not trained in this at all, but as a person that deals with anxiety and depression, I can spot it pretty easily with people. And there's not many folks, if any, other than John Fetterman, that will announce or admit that they're dealing with, you know, mental health issues, even if, you know, they are. I'm like, let's be honest. If you look at the percentages. Uh, they have to be. They have to be. <laughs> percentages play out and the stress and everything yeah. else. But, but folks aren't really willing to, in that field, just like we talked about with, with hockey in the past, uh, they're not really willing to bring down the wall and show any sign of vulnerability because they feel like that's something that the haters, that's something that the opposition will jump upon. That's true, though, isn't it? I mean, you know. They will, but, it, it, but that's <laughs> – I mean, if it, it's kind of like your priorities, right? I mean, is that's is your being an advocate for mental health and being honest and true and authentic with people, you know, more important to you than what people are going to say about you when they're going to say negative things anyway that aren't true. Yes, I, I mean, I think sometimes it, it is, and it, and it's a that is a reflection of the bad piece of our, our culture, which everything is driven by this divide that is between our political camps and everything is defined through that so the message you know i mean i think politicians now have armies of people who are on message who are saying this is the message you should give here's what you should stay away with and it's driven by this may be perceived by the opposition who is baying for blood that you're weak and therefore don't say anything about it it takes a very brave individual to say that but you know what the more people do you know, it's how do you create a crowd, right? It, right? If somebody's out there, you know, dancing in a strange way, it's just one person dancing in a strange way. If 10 people are doing it, it's the beginning of a movement. Right. And I think that's absolutely true in the way that people can talk about about what's going on in their head. Because a, a, a billion people on earth are saying, oh, yeah, I thought I was the only one feeling like that. And that's where the power of that comes from. Peter, as always, great to talk with you, and I look forward to catching up again next week. Thanks, Chris. That is the Humanity First podcast. That is Peter Evers. I am Chris Ryan. Have a great rest of the day, everybody.